basically it was Eric's idea, so so he has to delay that gratification just a little while. But we are journeying together through a series about sacred friendships. We're looking at relationships through the lens of heaven. We're living unto one another attributes that mirror the love that our Heavenly Father has for us. And what does that look like to live that way? Today, not conflict, we're going to talk about trust. Trust is a very significant word. Trust is a profoundly significant attribute. And trust can be challenging. As we're going to see from this clip right now, trust can be a challenging commodity. So let's watch. is less trusting than ever before. And as the saying goes, we're not in Mayberry anymore. And even if we were, Barney has trust issues. <laughs> we experience that people can be insincere. They can be manipulative. They can be conniving. Even King David has a lament of a misplaced trust in Psalm 41 even my closest friend, whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. That's Psalm 41.9. Many that we encounter in this life seem to be out for themselves. Now, trust in institutions and governments has waned as well. And I'm going to share with you this report a group called Edelman, which is a leading global communications marketing firm. They do a yearly trust barometer. Interesting. Uh, so a report from last year shows a plummet in trust across the U.S. Trust in the U.S. has suffered the largest ever recorded drop in the survey's history among the general population. 
Trust among the general population fell nine points to 43%, placing the U.S. in the lowest quarter of the 28-country trust index. Collapse of trust in the U.S. is driven by a staggering lack of faith in, you guessed it, government, which fell 14 points to 33%. The remaining institutions of business, media, nonprofit organizations also experienced declines of 10 to 20 points. The United States is enduring an unprecedented crisis of trust, said Richard Edelman, president and CEO. This is the first time that a massive drop in trust, get this, has not been linked to a pressing economic issue or catastrophe. In fact, it's the ultimate irony that it's happening at a time of prosperity with the stock market and employment rates in the U.S. at record highs. Interesting. What about trust in relationships? Trust in people within your circle, your friends, your family, maybe even your spouses. How is your heart today with trust? Would God have us be people who trust? Does scripture speak to this? Let's look at our focus text for today. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 1. This is a familiar story, but not for the reasons we typically uh, are going to look at today. Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to start at verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So we're looking at the Christmas story in June, but we're looking at a story within the Christmas story. We're looking at a story of the dynamics between a couple engaged to be married. In a very strict religious culture, this betrothed couple suddenly finds themselves facing a wonderful, mysterious, perhaps controversial reality. Now, we might tend to take this aspect of the Christmas story for granted, but between Mary and Joseph, there had to be 
a raging war of trust. Mary must have had thoughts of doubting could she trust Joseph. She knew she was innocent. And yet, in that time and place, in that culture, she could have been stoned for the reality of her pregnancy. So how would Joseph treat her? How would the public treat her? And Joseph, for his part, he must have had uh, thoughts of doubting, could he trust Mary? Could he believe Mary's story? Would anyone believe that the child was conceived of the Holy Spirit? Would there be a stigma of illegitimacy that surrounded this child? Would repercussions, undercurrent of infidelity, follow Mary and Joseph throughout their marriage? Now, our passage today tells us that Mary and Joseph dared to trust each other. Trust can be a very difficult thing to achieve. Even Barney had issues with it, right? Yep. So does Scripture help us with the realization of trust or creating a climate of trust? Well, I'm glad you asked. <clears throat> so let's look at this together. I submit to you that to create a, tr a climate of trust, trust is something that has to be earned. Trust has to be earned. To see trust come to us, we would do well to live lives in such a way that engender that trust. Honest communication, for one. Honest communication that reflects love and regard can go a long way toward having trust come back to you. Did you know our words are very, very powerful? You know, our words can create or destroy. Our words can be life-giving. Our words can be devastating. Consider this. If we have this on the screen from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, <clears throat> that's a very interesting way to say that. Note what the words of the psalmist, those who love the tongue will eat its fruit. In other words, we reap what we sow. You will reap a harvest of your words, whether they are used to bless and bring life or whether they are used to tear down. Now, I want to share with you a story. I discovered this book, or rediscovered it, I should say, in the, uh, my basement library, uh, talking about the power of a blessing into another life. And in here, author John Trent shares a story. Bear with me, it's just a little bit longer. When I was young, my grandparents came to live with us for several years to help out with three very rambunctious boys. My grandfather was a wonderful man, but a stern disciplinarian. He had rules for everything, and he had swats to go with all the rules. But there was one ironclad rule that we hated because it carried two automatic swats. Be home before the streetlight comes on. Well, one night, my twin brother Jeff and I didn't make it. Hmm. Never one to delay punishment, I shuffled down the hall to grandfather's room and received my two swats. 
But little did I know that I was about to receive one of the greatest blessings in my life. After my spanking, my grandmother told me to go back down the hall and call grandfather for dinner. I didn't feel much like being polite to him at the time. But I didn't want to make uh, risk another spanking either. So off I went to his room, and I meant to knock on the door. But I noticed it was already ajar. That's when I broke the cardinal rule and gently pushed it open to look inside. What I saw shocked me. My grandfather, a man who rarely showed any emotion, was sitting on the end of his bed crying. I stood at the door in confusion. I had never seen him cry, didn't know what to say. Suddenly he looked up and saw me, and I froze where I was. I hope catching him crying isn't a 60-swat offense, I thought to myself. Yet instead of another spanking, my grandfather said to me, Come here, John. His voice was full of emotion. When I reached him, he reached out and hugged me closely and in tears. He said, he told me how much he loved me and how deeply it hurt him to have to spank me. John, he said, seating me on the bed next to him, putting his big arms around me. I want more than anything in life for you and your brothers to grow up to become godly young men. I hope that you know how much I love you and how proud I am of you. I can't explain it, but when I left his room that night, I was a different person because of his blessing. As I look back today, that evening provided me with a meaningful rite of passage from childhood to young adulthood. For years after, recalling that clear picture of my grandfather's blessing helped me to shape my attitudes and my actions. Amen. Amen. Our words can destroy or can create trust. Our words can corrode or they can bring life. They can establish a legacy one way or the other. To live a trustworthy life, especially to one's spouse or very close loved ones, is to live a life that harbors no secrets, carries no deceptions. Trust needs openness. Look at, with me, 1 John 3.18. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And along with that, uh, Paul tells us in Colossians 3, do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. A life that earns trust is a life of integrity. It's a life of honesty, a life that reflects the heart of God through our actions, through our words, through our choices. Another brief story for you here. This is from a Dr. Robert Schuler. Any of you might know that name. Talking about uh, his younger son, Bob. When he was still young, dating Linda, his wife-to-be, and was only allowed to see her on certain nights. Well, one night he wanted to see her without permission and told us he was at his friend's house. Ooh. When we found out the truth, there was a real scene between us. He had violated our trust, and it was like a crack in a fine teacup that marred its appearance. 
In the confrontation, I smashed a fine English teacup on the floor and told Bob that to restore our trust would be like gluing that cup back together. And he said, I don't know if I can do that. And I said, well, that's how hard it is to build confidence and trust again. The outcome was that Bob spent literally weeks carefully gluing the pieces back together until he finished. He'd learned a very important lesson. Our actions earn trust unto the people close to us. Mary and Joseph chose each other. Their individual actions bridged that gap of trust. Through their responses, their response to God, they had an angelic messenger. Under their response to that messenger, Mary and Joseph acted in a spirit of unity toward each other. Let us walk in integrity toward the people in our lives. This is how we begin to create a climate of trust. Now, not only does trust have to be earned, but I submit to you that to create a climate of trust, trust is something that has to be sowed. Trust has to be planted. Trust has to be invested into the hearts and lives of people with whom we walk in relationship. Living to sow trust into people, to honor the people in our lives, is to live in expectation of the gold in them. Expectation of the gold in them, okay? Living to view them through God's eyes, through the person they can become or they are becoming in Christ. Honoring people God has given to us can yield that response back to us in return. I have an interesting quote here from a famous American author, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Listen to this. He says, trust people and they will be true to you. Treat them greatly and they will show themselves great. Treat them greatly and they will show themselves great. Now, sowing trust I'll have to warn you, can be living dangerously. It can be a little bit risky. It's a space of vulnerability. And here's the warning label on the package. You know, you can get hurt this way. Mary and Joseph made a choice unto each other to see beyond external realities before them and choose to honor each other. Sowing trust is an act of love. It's a, an empathic gesture that seeks to see and understand another individual, to view things, see things through their eyes, to see and appreciate and understand their emotions, to understand and gain a glimpse into their world, to know their heart and mind. Paul tells us this in Galatians. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the law of Christ is the law of love. It's a choice of solidarity and compassion by which 
We walk together arm in arm with each other. It's a choice through the good, through the bad, through the challenging, arm in arm. Now we receive this wisdom from Proverbs 18. A man of many companions may come to ruin. He might, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 18, 24. Now a heart that sows trust, a heart that takes the time to invest trust into another is a heart that is not going to be easily shaken when those boundaries are tested. Even in devotion to one another, the road is going to be rocky sometimes. It just is. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. And a heart that endeavors to believe in another, to sow into that person and honor them with the gold in them, is not going to be shaken when the bumps come along. Notice uh, Colossians. Colossians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Colossians 3, there's such relational wisdom in there. Paul says this in Colossians 3, 13 and 14. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So dare to trust Dare to love. Dare to expect the best out of the people in your life. To believe in them. Now, trust can be a rhythm. It can be a dance. It can be a rhythm of trusting together that you can enter into. There is a nobility there is a beauty in being a champion of the relationships in your life, being for them, striving for the us, the entity that is the togetherness between the two of you, the solidarity, the connectedness of us, seeking to protect the living force that is the relationship, being concerned about that, instead of being concerned about winning. You ever been concerned about winning? You know, maybe that my, my will would prevail, my opinion. You need to see things my way. Has anybody ever done that? I'm pointing fingers back at myself. Yes, instead, being concerned with and being a champion of the us, the relationship, fighting for that, there's a beauty in creating a mutual dance of trust and vulnerability, not seeking to control, but to enjoy, to discover together what life will bring. Loving another person such that each of you has his or her own voice. Each of you is allowed his or her own opinions and feelings on a matter. Imagine that. Even giving someone else the permission to say no. You can look at your neighbor and say, <clears throat> you can say no. You can say no. You can. 
And this is very honoring. This is a very entrusting sign. Yeah. <clears throat> you like that one? <laughs> you could say no. This is a very honoring and trusting sign to another person, to another individual. <clears throat> Excuse me. Consider this from Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Above yourselves. And this also from Paul in his letter to the Philippians. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That from Philippians 2. Now, <clears throat> I want to tell you, Paul is not telling you that everybody's better than you. Because they're not. <laughs> right? Amen? Amen. But he is saying that to so trust, to love, is to honor and elevate one another and consider each other worthy of preferential treatment, of that honor, of that blessing. My friends, seek to earn and to so trust. Let go of control. And dare to enter into a rhythm of give and take. Trusting together. Always living <clears throat> for the relationship. I'm going to leave you with this from one of my favorite chapters as well. The love chapter. It's not just for weddings. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy it is not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not, notice this, self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs, absolutely none. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes, and love always perseveres from 1 Corinthians 13. This is the path that creates trust. You see the give and take in these verses. This is about what love does. But not only that, it's what love infuses. It's what love accommodates. It's what love bears with. Love always trusts. Always earning trust and sowing trust into the people in your lives. May we earn and so trust and in so doing mirror the heart and mind of Christ unto each other. Dare to live that way this week. Amen? All right. Thank you. Conflict to come later on. <clears throat> Thank you, Scott. Awesome. Fantastic. Can we pray together? Just thinking about um, sowing trust. And who knows when you're sowing good things, every once in a while, weeds pop up, don't they? Talking about propensity of soul, um, I think we have a propensity to shape truth 
So it's advantageous, do we not? Yeah? Have you ever walked away from a conversation and said, I wasn't completely honest with that person? I never have. I'm just wondering if you all. But here's the good news is that the communion table is this beautiful picture of forgiveness that even in those weeds that we sow sometimes, like dishonesty, like little white lies, like withholding the full truth, that we can come before the Lord and Jesus says, you know, I covered all of those weeds with my sacrifice. I can remove all of those things and forgive you and give you a fresh start. And he leaves those sowing of truth. He leaves those, those good things, that, that good fruit there. But he clears out the junk that so easily comes. So can we approach the table that way? Jesus, we are so thankful that though oftentimes we are not trustworthy, you always are. Lord, forgive us when we've not trusted you. Forgive us when we've sown dishonesty or half-truths in our relationship with you and our relationship with one another. We want to lay that before you today. Just take a moment, any...